Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. All right, God, we want to thank you for this time. We want to thank you for the freedom that we do have. I'm just really mindful of the freedom that we have at this time in this space to be able to gather in your name. Uh, May we not be a people who take it for granted. Uh, Even as we're mindful of people throughout northern parts of Australia who won't have this same freedom at the moment because of flood damage, uh, we, we pray for your sustaining work, your empowering work, even in the mess that people will be feeling at the moment, that they would uh, be able to gather in worship in some expression, in some form, Father. We pray for our brothers and sisters throughout the world who continue to bear witness to the goodness, the faithfulness and the generosity of Jesus, your goodness, God, um, even in persecution, even though Bibles have been taken away, churches have been burnt, bombed, in the midst of war, Father, we, uh, we pray that you sustain this, your church. We know that you're building your church. Even if we can't fully see it being expressed, we want to trust in you above everything else. And so in this time, we open ourselves to you. We want to entrust you. We want to have minds and spirits and hearts open to knowing you, to encountering you, uh, to gaining wisdom from you, Father. May the words that I speak uh, be the words of your spirit, and anything not of you will just fall away and die. Uh, we want to open your word to be uh, revealing and transforming in our hearts, minds and spirits. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So welcome to, uh, this is week three of apologetics. Is that right? I'm not even sure because I know you're expecting the sweet, sultry tones of Jared. Um, and uh, much better vision of Jared um, than me standing up here. There's probably at least three people who you think I'm better looking, but, you know. Do you want to take a poll? No, you don't want to take a poll. No, it's probably inappropriate that we take a poll. Um, Because we're here for Jesus. Okay, all right. Thanks, so Apologetics 101, Lockie did a great job last week of uh, helping us connect with Scripture as a reliable source of uh, history and of wisdom, as a source that we can actually trust, as a source that we can actually gain wisdom from and uh, find our rest and our peace, and uh, a source that we can use to communicate hope uh, to a wide range of people as well. As I was listening to Lockie and as I was reflected on Lockie, and indeed as we think about this whole series, what you'll know is that even today, like I could, I could do a three-hour lecture for you today um, that you know, some of you have gone, <laughs> um, come back later, yeah, um, so, but I'm not, and that's one of the things about apologetics and indeed of any message is that it, we just give you a snippet in many ways. And we, this, this series invites you to go deeper, check out your own resources. We have a wealth of resources, which is both um, a curse and a gift. Um, how we use that is really important. Um, how we pursue that, what we give attention to, what we give time to is very important. Apologetics, of course, is not apologizing for our faith. It's not being sorry for our faith. Apologetics um, that's not working, oh there it is, thank you, Uh, is speech in one's defence of faith. 
Uh, so being able to explain what we believe and why we believe it and explaining faith even against the mistruths that other people might have. So, um, or even I think there's an element of being able to recognise some of the challenges and the questions or identify with some of the questions that people might have about faith uh, and then being able to go deeper and inviting people to participate in the conversation. Apologetics, if you like, is being able to engage in conversation with what we believe in. And it is important that we do give some careful consideration and thought to our faith. It is important that uh, over time and as we mature and go deeper, that we have the capacity and the freedom and the safety to be able to ask some critical questions, even questions of doubt, even questions of uncertainty, even questions of um, disbelief or disappointment or disillusionment. They're all important questions because they can actually facilitate our capacity to go deeper in our relationship with God and in our community as part of a community. So, for instance, take today's question. Uh, How was the world created? Uh, If you have been a person of faith and if you've been reading scripture for any length of time, we all know um, the first couple of verses of scripture. We at least know the first three words in the beginning. And many of us who have read Scripture and understood Scripture and follow Scripture or hold Scripture as a word of truth, a word of counsel and wisdom and history, will be able to know that, well, God said it was and so it just came into being. Some of us don't have too much of an issue with that because, well, God, you know, uh, put Jesus in a young virgin, God parted waters, you know, I believe in miracles, therefore God spoke and it came into being, job done. Thanks for coming, see you later. That's the message. See, you thought it was a three-hour lecture, I tricked you. Now, there is an element where that's enormous, that's a great sense of comfort uh, and we know that. And God said um, he formed the the light and the the dark, he formed the sun and the moon and God said he formed the plants and God said and he created humanity. Then if you go into Genesis 2, it seems like it's almost a conflicted story, perhaps a bit too strong a word, but it offers a different insight. There's almost a sense where God gets his hands dirty because the language becomes God formed. God almost, he physically participates. As I read that story again, it goes a little bit deeper to the power and he gets his hand dirty. Now, if you trust scripture, that's probably enough. You have seen, as I said, and experienced enough of God to accept that these words are true. Now, some of us might see Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 as conflicting stories. Um, I was going to say something else there. That's just left me, so I'm going to keep moving. But in fact, so the question is now, um, and so this raises a question. If we say to people, well, God just said it and it came into being, will that be enough for many people? And the reality is probably not. Because they're not yet at a position of faith, are they? Many of your friends have doubts and questions or things that they can point to that says, no, that's actually not enough because I don't believe in God, firstly, or I haven't seen enough evidence of God, secondly, or God I might have known or God I grew up with is no longer the God that I know. And in fact, the God that you speak about is not the same God that I see in this person. 
So to simply say, well, God spoke into being, that should be enough, is not enough for people who don't have faith, yeah? Therefore, apologetics 101. And we've in fact been reminded that we are required to give an answer. First Peter, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. And can I highlight, firstly, we've got to check our hearts in our relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord. And secondly... Peter writes to the church under persecution, under circumstances of true persecution, and he says even to them, do it with gentleness and respect. Hey, church, he's saying, don't be obnoxious snots. Just a thought. So saying that God's spoken into being might be a great starting point. But many thinking people would need more. There are, in fact, numerous creation stories. Um, in fact, the creation story that we have is not unfamiliar to many other myths and many other um, traditions and many other heritage and expressions of faith. But here's a few uh, stories, creation stories. There's the splitting of the cosmic eggs. Hadn't heard that one before. That sounds like an interesting story. There's water creatures, there's rival gods who go to war against each other um, and whoever's the supreme, whoever wins, becomes the ruler, becomes the creator of heavens and earth and everything that we know. There's the simple forming over several years or several thousand or several billions of years, depending on how you see that. Um, you know, you might want to explore or understand the evolution theory that something has uh, come out of whatever was here before us. There's a sacrifice of a supernatural being that, that was overpowered. Uh, there's mythical creatures. There's a mixing of elements. And then, of course, the Big Bang Theory. Um, let, I, I'll, I'll just jump ahead. I, I feel like I need to do this. Here's, here's science according to Simon. Are you ready for this? <coughs> I don't think you're taking me seriously. I have a scientific theory. Now, all you scientists in the room, just take a deep breath. I have a theory um, based upon, if you've got two marbles, okay, two marbles and you're able to produce a machine that was able to throw those two marbles at opposite ends of the room and you're able to create a machine that threw these marbles at each other at such force and such velocity that they then exploded. Yeah, you with me so far? What happens beyond that? If, if our world is created by a Big Bang... And if two planets or two stars or two rocks have somehow accidentally got together just because of their paths somehow collided, because that was all that was there beforehand, what happens beyond that explosion without any sense of intelligence? If you want to suggest to me that our world is created accidentally, and then you can look at the rest of the world and say that the rest of the world, with all its variation, with all its various expressions, is therefore an accident. I've got some issues with that. 
The evolution theory, here's my other scientific theory with evolution. Are you ready for this one? I don't feel like that really inspired you. Or... I haven't seen evolution happen in my 50 years of life. And there's been people around for a lot longer than me. And why aren't monkeys extinct? Just some questions I've got. And if, our, if we are an evolving humanity and we're going to become something else, why are we putting so much effort into robots at the moment? Just some questions. Not very stimulating, I'm sure, but that's there. So there you go. Here ends Simon's science lesson. Someone else did a bit more research. Has anyone read The Case for Faith by Lee Strobel? If you have not read The Case for Faith by Lee Strobel, it's hard work in lots of ways. You'll need to give it lots of times because he's an investigative journalist. So he goes and pursues and he has interviews after interview. And he, he was setting out to disprove all of this, disprove faith, disprove God, disprove um, Christianity, disprove the resurrection. He went out to disprove it and he, through the process he became a Christian um, amazing story in itself. He still preaches and speaks out of that experience. So he, had a, uh, he, had a, he was having an interview with a, a scientist by the name of Walter Bradley, Walter J. Bradley, in fact. It's important to know that because it's important that we have our middle initial and you shall forever now refer to me as Simon R. Risson. Um, <clears throat> But this, this scientist, Walter J. Bradley, he actually reaches for a book by Klaus Dose, uh, who's actually a biochemist. And this is what Klaus has to say about it. More than 30 years of it, and this was about 2000, so it was written, uh, he did his research late 80s, 90s, so and the book was released in 1990, uh, two, sorry, year 2000. More than 30 years of experimentation on the origin of life in the fields of chemical and molecular evolution have led to a better perception of the immensity of the problem of the origin of life on earth rather than its solution. At present, all discussion on principal theories and experiments in the field either end in a stalemate or in a confession of ignorance. In other words, science hasn't solved it. For all the research that's been done, even the, what is it, the, the God particle or the Higgs, is it Higgs Botham or Higgs Bottom or something, something to do with Higgs? They, they got so far with that and then thought, well, that's as far as we can get. And every scientific experiment that I understand about our universe, you know what they discover? There's more to discover. There's more that they don't know. Every discovery leads us into something new, which is in fact what you want science to do. Is it not? You want science to improve, to shape, to gain a deeper understanding. And in fact, if you think about our human bodies, the amount of things that we don't know about our body is astonishing. Given the research and the money and if you think, even as horrific as it is, you think about the, the numerous cancer diagnoses that are received every year. And I have not heard one cancer diagnosis that is exactly the same. I've not heard one treatment that is exactly the same. I've not heard one 
side effect that is exactly the same or outcome that is exactly the same. Our bodies are incredible, incredible machines. And even science is understanding that the more research that we do, the more that there is understanding and there's more that we don't, in fact, understand. In fact, in going further in this conversation with Lee Strobel, uh, Walter J. Bradley said, I think people who believe that life emerged naturalistically, that is, accidentally, if you like, you know, just formed over millions, thousands, billions of years, uh, need to have a great deal more faith than people who reasonably infer that there's an intelligent designer. You think of the faith that the Big Bang Theory requires. And in fact, if we are here accidentally, if we are here purely because of the Big Bang Theory, then we genuinely have no purpose. We genuinely have no meaning. We genuinely have no hope. It's a sad way to live. And it is every man for himself. That's a sadder way to live, and we're seeing some of the outcomes of that at the moment. Well, we've probably seen the outcomes of that throughout the course of all of history, if we're honest. Our scriptures reveal what it's like when every man's for himself, when every man isolates or disconnects himself from God or says that he can do it better or we can do it better or she can do it better than what God has ever ordained or suggested or directed us to. Science, and this, I, I want to be really clear about this. I'm not... Science is actually a great gift for faith. Science does not, and science and reason does not disqualify faith. But the great gift of science is that we discover more. And in fact, in discovering more, we discover that there is a greater mystery. And as much as we might think we know about God, there is so much mystery about God. And that's what makes this relationship so meaningful, so hopeful, so beautiful, so wonderful, is that I don't have to be in control when I surrender and submit to the one who is. My life can take on a different perspective. The reality is that the enemy will use anything he possibly can to dehumanize humanity, to make us less human to make us less interested in relationship. And in fact, this is the great gift of the biblical creation is revealed in relationship because relationship changes everything. The fact that God wanted to create a world. And remember, he doesn't start, the scriptures doesn't start by saying, in the beginning, there were several billion stars floating around in space and God did something with them. Now, maybe there was, but in fact, what we're told is in the beginning, it was formless. There was a void. There was nothing. Now, I understand you have to trust Scripture to come to that place. But even if we ask, well, where, where was God? And we, we can unpack that a little bit. But even if we say, well, what, where was God? We've got to ask, where did all the rocks come from? See, from the beginning, it is God's desire for relationship and not just about power or proving himself or an egotistical maniac. It's always been about relationship. 
and it is the demonstration of and God's act of love and everything points to God. The psalmist writes in chapter 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. I mean, just pay attention to the sky this week. I mean, my goodness. Have you ever, have you ever seen the sky so blue that you just feel like you can reach out and touch it and kind of put your finger through it and just watch it? Have you ever, is that just me? Have you ever imagined that? Have you ever imagined what it would like just to be touched the sky and just feel it run through your fingers? Sometimes the sky is so deep in its blue that I just feel like I could go for a swim in it. And then you talk about the sunrises and the sunsets and the formation of the clouds and the beauty and the wonder how that all happens and you've done nothing for it. What a gift. Chapter 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And that's an astonishing statement in itself. Even if you don't want to acknowledge God, even if you don't want to recognize God, God still sees you as part of his world. Relationship. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. And in chapter 66, all our earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing the praises of your name. I mean, how do you communicate something so big and something so much beyond explanation, something so rich, something we can point to, and yet something with such great and beautiful mystery? What words could we possibly use? And in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. See, many people would say you can't prove the existence of God, you can't disprove the existence of God. There's some truth to that, except... Except when I look at nature, I see something that is far beyond anything else. When I look at the beauty and the wonder and the intelligence of nature, I find great comfort in this. Nature expresses the wonder of God's character, the beauty of God's character. Where every leaf has a unique marking on it where the sky as i said changes color where mystery exists beyond what has been discovered where humans are created each with unique fingerprints each uh, i've read recently in science someone else might be able to correct me um, even your tongue has a unique print on it that's i'm surprised we haven't seen that in movies to access secret labs you know tongue print um you don't like that no um and even our eyes have unique so like prints. I don't know what they call an eye print. Um, I can declare that every human is made in the image of God, the heart and character of God placed within nature. And if you wanted to think further about the intelligent design of creation or you wanted to imagine that it was um, uh, the Big Bang Theory, go and have a look at the, the DNA structure. Go and do some research on DNA in itself. Every living thing has DNA in it. 
Every leaf, every plant, every animal, every human being all has some structure that is so finely tuned that we exist. And you want to tell me that's accidental. So then we say, well, well maybe I've already answered this, but I'll, I'll do it. Where does God come from? Just a couple of questions that formed as I prepared. So I thought it was worth just exploring. Well, where then does God come from? Well, God just existed. And that's barely enough for people, really, isn't it? I mean, we struggle with that a lot. Um, very few are satisfied with the fact that God always was. But I think this is actually what makes faith so powerful and so significant is, again, that it actually leads us into some mystery. And I, I, we will find an enormous amount of peace in our lives and therefore in our worlds if we can become okay with mystery. We have become so immersed in having an opinion and having the answer to everything that we've lost any mystery. Mystery reminds us that we are not all-powerful. <laughs> mystery reminds us that we are not all-knowing. Mystery reminds us that we are not in control. That might be new to some of you. Well, if we're created in relationship, you might ask, why then do we suffer? Why there are wars, why there is famine, why is there drought, why is there corruption? And again, we've hardly got time to explore it, and, uh, but the best explanation I can offer is because we're not okay with the mystery, is because we're not okay with realising that we're not in control, we're not okay with submitting and surrendering to someone who is beyond us. We want to be in control, we want to be in charge, and so this is the end result. Greed, corruption, pride, anger, jealousy, envy, dishonour. All because we separate ourselves from God, because we establish ourselves as our own idols, our own gods. Um, we have so much invested in, any, in our free will, we hardly give any time to the consequences of our decisions, of our motivations or our behaviours. Why? Because I'm in charge and in fact you can't tell me to do. And in fact if you can't tell me what to do, therefore neither will I give any time, credence or permission for God to tell me what to do. If you want to understand the biggest challenge that we have with the authority of God, just have a look at when someone comes and says, have you thought about this? And see what happens in your spirit. We become so interested in arguing and proving our point or justifying ourselves. And we distance ourselves from considering God in our thought, attitude, decision, lifestyle or behaviours. And then we say we've become so far removed that we don't know how to get back or if we ever can, can encounter God again. So let me remind you, if you're in that space and you're saying, yeah, well, that's okay, Son, but I've done so much, I've removed myself so far, I've ignored him for so long, I can never come back. Go and read Romans 1.20 that says... All the world and all who live in it belong to him. And here's another reality. This might be another shock for some of us. I think God is actually big enough to handle our disappointments, our disillusionments, our 
doubts, our uncertainties and our questions. I think God is actually big enough to handle our anger, our hurt and our frustration. I think God is actually big enough to handle it when someone lets us down and we want to yell at someone. Indeed, I would argue that he invites it from us. He participates in our grief. But in that, we have to be willing to be humbled. Listen to these words at the end of Job. Job 38, this, where were you, Job? Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? This is God speaking. Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. You stretched a measuring line across it, Job. You seem to have all the answers. You seem to be able to critique everything about me, Job. This is the guy that had everything taken away from him. Had his friends gather around him. And at some point, God comes and says, well, all right, mate. You've had a hard life. I get that. It's been tough for a while. Uh, let's put this in perspective. <laughs> On what were its footing set or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. See, if we, if we want to be honest in our relationship with God, um, when things... And even through this message, I hope it's opened up things or considered possibilities because you can see how things can quickly progress when you start asking questions as a gift to explore rather than an argument to have. When, when questions become an opportunity to deepen a relationship, to learn, to surrender, to submit, to build our faith. I love this has been my sustaining couple of verses over the last couple of years. From Colossians 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So you're not sure about God? We can look at Jesus. He reveals everything about the Father. And we'll look at whether we can trust in the person of Jesus in a few weeks' time. In him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And my suspicion is, and actually not even suspicion, I know this to be true for my own life, so I'd know it to be true because, you know, we're all humans, that when we feel like things aren't being held together, often it's because we have lost our willingness to trust in the one who holds all things. Because we feel like we have to hold all things. Because we want to be in control. Paul goes on, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And this highlights, again, what we'll be exploring. He's actually overcome the final mystery, the, that of death. We can have victory and confidence in this reality and this truth, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I know, and you know, that there's been a lot of things done in the name of God and done in the name of Jesus Christ that do not reflect his heart or character. And our hearts should be and must be broken by that. 
That doesn't mean that God isn't true. And that doesn't mean that God hasn't created the universe and all that is in it. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't love us and doesn't want to be in relationship. It just means we've lost our way every now and then. And we have a hope that isn't meaningless and we can live with purpose because we can live out of the knowledge that all things are created to bring glory to God. Not because he is an egotistical, narcissistic, corrupt dictator, but because he is a creator, creator who formed something and everything out of nothing in the fullest expression of love. Because he is a creator who came down and lived amongst us to show us what it is to live in relationship, revealed through Jesus, who was willing to die on a cross, a brutal death, who said no to violence, who said no to demonstrating his power, who said yes to fully submitting to the ways of his father, even at cost to his own life. And in that, God raised him to death, uh, raised, raised him to death, raised him to life, to prove the full extent of his love and that he has the full authority over all things. And that is the promise. And that is the invitation. That if you ever needed any evidence, it is revealed in Jesus. And as our team comes up and they lead us in a great song of faith, a great song of hope, a great song of declaration and worship, we want to invite you, as we often do, if you're watching online, you can communicate through our website, horsham.org.au, and contact us through that page. But if you're in the building and you need prayer, and it, maybe it's prayer of belief, maybe you want to surrender, maybe it's that moment that you want to declare Jesus Christ as Lord, but maybe there's something else going on in your life. Maybe there's something else where you feel like God isn't in control, where you haven't surrendered that heart to God. Maybe it's in a relationship, maybe it's in your finances, maybe it's in... Whatever is happening, we want to invite you to step out of your seats, come forward, enjoy the end of the song, and then people will gather around you and pray for you and encourage you and declare life and lead us into a place where we can surrender as we declare the greatness of God.